Hi. <laughs> uh, good evening. My name is Pua Parker, and I'm excited and nervous to share my story with you guys. But I do feel cool like Dion because I got a binder up here. <laughs> I'm going to flip pages as I go through. It'll be awesome. So I grew up in a family that went to church every Sunday, and my mom would pray with us every night before we went to bed. I had this like memorized prayer where we named every cousin. Um, and I, I remember going to church, and I really didn't like it. I didn't like Sunday school. I always felt, I guess, like an outsider. I just felt dumb because um, I'd go into these Sunday schools, and we'd have like sword drills, uh, you know, because the Bible is the word of God. It's the sword of the spirit. And uh, they'd be like, who can look up First Thessalonians, blah, 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 the fastest. I'd be like, I don't even know what that is. People would like go really quickly. Um, I didn't really know Bible stories and we didn't talk about it in the home uh, outside of just like praying at night. So I didn't, I didn't really get the whole God thing. Uh, but my dad was in the Air Force. And so we moved around a lot. It made us be a close family because we really didn't have extended family anywhere. Um, my name is actually Pua because my dad and mom were stationed in Hawaii. Um, and while they were there, they had a bit of a surprise, me. And so they gave me a Hawaiian name. So I got named Pua. Um, by the age of 14, I'd lived in Hawaii and North Carolina, Washington, D.C., Tokyo, Japan, Colorado, and Tennessee. In fact, the trend of not living places very long continued most of my life. The longest I've ever lived anyone, anywhere continuously is actually St. Louis <laughs> at four and a half years, so going strong. Um, moving around taught me a lot of good and hard things. Um, it instilled some great values. Like I, I really did appreciate time with my close family, but also when I did get to see extended family, like that was really special. Um, it helped me be curious and really appreciative of other cultures and, and religions. Um, I can get along with just about anyone because kind of when you're moving around you have to. It's like these are your options for friends. <laughs> um, get along or don't have friends. Um, and I can develop deep friendships quickly. Um, but moving around also gave me this chronic sense of being the outsider. Um, like I never really felt like I belonged anywhere. Uh, like I didn't really know or have an identity. I didn't have this big extended family that would get together on the weekends, so I didn't have this like homogeneous group of my people. Um, I didn't have a hometown where I knew all the streets or I knew the, the shop owners or have a favorite restaurant. I, I didn't have a home church. You know, every couple years we're in a new church, new Sunday schools, new experiences. Um, so just, I even felt like I didn't have a culture. I would say the closest thing I, I had to like a culture was the military culture, um, where people are transient and moms are really supportive of each other because most of the time the dads would be, um, you know, deployed or something. But then even in high school, my dad retired from the Air Force. We retired in Knoxville, Tennessee, and that was not a, like a military community. So I felt even like I had no connection to that community anymore, no one around knew the kind of life uh, that I'd had. When you take like a bird's eye view of my life um, and, and you look at the things that for me were the biggest crisis moments, you can see how my early life, that, that 
longing, that sense of being an outsider really shaped a lot of my crisis moments. Um, and there's, there's just this common denominator that I was searching for identity. I was searching for belonging um, because of my mom's faithfulness in getting us to church and because of this really amazing camp that I went to in eighth grade. Um, I had this notion that my true identity was in Jesus. You know, like, I'm a child of God, he's my dad, um, I'm his. So I, there was some root of knowing that that was my identity. Um, but, but when you look at my life, what, I, what, I, what I'll be sharing with you guys, it's just that this thing kept coming, like things kept coming up against that identity. And I kept trying to find a place of security, a place of identity in, in lots of other things. Um, and then... God and his kindness forcibly removing (laughs) those idols uh, or those false identities from me. So in high school, when my dad retired, you know, I was in the same place for four years, got to develop some friendships, um, got really close with this one group of friends, and I I sort of felt like, this is it. These are my people. (laughs) Um, A year kind of into us being like a solid group of friends, that group of friends voted me out of the friend group. Um, it's, it's brutal out there, you guys. <laughs> um, voted me out of the friend group because they were mad that I had other friends. Um, and so I was like, oh, that, you know, the identity of these are my people, like, gone. And uh, then I kind of turned to soccer. Um, by my junior year, you know, our team was ranked number one in the state, and I got voted to be a ju- uh, captain my junior year, which was a big deal. And it was just going to be a great season, and I got injured third game of the season. I tore a muscle in my hip and was out for the rest of the season. And it was, I just remember being so mad at God. Um, and I'll get to this in a little bit, but I journal a lot. And so I was like journaling, and I was like so mad at God. And um, I remember sitting there, and I felt like God said, go to Psalm 37, 8. And I was like, okay, what is this going to be about, like goats or something? And I opened the Bible, and it was like, <laughs> it was like, forsake wrath, it only leads to evil. And I was like, <laughs> it's like, it's like you know me. Um, and, I, and I actually went back through my journal, and I had prayed weeks earlier um, in my journal. It said, God, I feel far from you. Will you break me? Will you remind me that I'm yours? And he was like, girl, you asked for it. Um, So God entered, you know, really, so in that moment, like God's kindness felt like it was so painful, but like took the identity of soccer from me away, which then enabled me to play soccer and love it and not feel like everything I was was tied up in it. So it's just these reminders of God being like, your identity isn't in your friends, the amount that you have, or if you have any, your identity isn't in what you do. Those things can be taken away. Your identity is only in me. When I got to college, um, lots of like life events uh, happened in college, but through all of them, um, I kept feeling like I was in this cycle of, of depression. Um, it's really something that had started in middle school um, that was really unexplained, where I like all these things going well in my life, but there was always this like hovering sadness. And so I think kind of what I started clinging to as my identity was just like, I'm just going to be someone who always struggles with depression. And, um, and then I like fell in love with my first person and I was like, oh my gosh, that's my identity. I'm dating Sam. Um, 
Sam was not someone to base your identity on. Um, he, he broke my heart, as generally happens with your first love. Um, and, and like with the depression thing, like I, I, I kind of learned how to set boundaries in my life. Um, I, I saw a counselor and kind of worked through like, oh, this is manageable. I don't, I don't have to just suffer in silence. I don't have to like hide this from people. I can, I can work with this. So again, just in the midst of just living life in college and trying to find my identity, find my place, um, God's like, hey, your identity is not in your weaknesses or your sickness, um, and your identity is not in the person that you're romantically involved with whether you have someone or whether you don't, um, it's just in me. Like, it's just in me. So then, right, I'm starting to catch on. I'm like, oh, I see what you're doing. Okay, my identity is just in you. All right, I'm not going to fall for any of this anymore. I'm not going to, like, put it in what I do. I'm not going to put it in, like, who I'm with. Um, I got this. But then the identities that I started clinging to were a bit sneakier, um, and things that were actually celebrated in the church. So in this Christian culture that I'm in, there were things that were like, yeah, these things are good. Um, in, my, in my adult life, some of the things I clinged, uh, clung? I'll use that word, clung to. Dion's like, mm-hmm, that's proper English. Um, the things that I clung to um, was being a girl who was well-liked and being a girl who could like save the students that she was working with. Um, being well-liked was, losing that identity was a bit of a slap in the face. Right after I graduated college, I had the opportunity to then be an assistant coach of the team that I just had left. And I was like, oh, I get to be with my teammates again. Like, this is going to be awesome. The new head coach was, I'm kindly using the word inept at um, coaching. And so what he put on me was conditioning and punishment. I was like, um, <laughs> hey, best friends, um, go run a mile. Like, it was so awkward, but, like, that was what I was being instructed to do, and so I tried to, like, manage that. I did not manage it well. Um, very soon, the team hated me and uh, called me all kinds of really bad names, and I'm, like, really sensitive to words, and so, like, it just broke my heart. I was like, I held your hair back when you were throwing up. And here you are telling me that I'm terrible. Um, I was actually, I mean, I'm laughing about this because I just generally laugh about things that are a little painful. Um, I think that's my coping mechanism. But like this team that I was friends with, they actually all just had a big reunion like two weeks ago. And I was not invited. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, that still stings a little bit all this time later. Um, but yeah, so, you know, God's like, hey, girl, there's going to be people who don't like you, and there's going to be times when you're following me, and that will make people not like you. It's okay. That's not your identity. Um, at the church that I was in in Tennessee, so this is, I guess, six years ago, there was a girl I was working with, and she, she may, I don't know if I'm supposed to rank students like this, but she may be the most broken lost girl that, I'd, that I've ever worked with. And um, I saw a lot of myself in her. What I saw was, God, like apart from you, this is who I'd be. Like I just, I just knew it in my spirit. And so I just wanted to help her. I wanted to save her. I wanted to do whatever I could. And, and this girl, she was just a, like a 
vacuum cleaner. She would just like suck me, drive everything that I had. And it, I mean, it got me to a place where I was broken, like mentally, physically, emotionally. I, I mean, I would, I would get to work and I would just be crying in the morning, like brokenhearted for this girl, but also just boundaries were way off. And so, you know, I went to a counselor and she was teaching me about the value of having boundaries in relationships and especially with students. And, and like the lesson from God was really like, you're not the savior. I'm the savior. And you can help me in that. You can be obedient to me. But like, I'm not calling you to change lives or save lives. And like learning that, like being, being broken of that identity was so kind of God because it's like, it's, it's set me up in a place to be able to do ministry and my life doesn't hinge on whether or not, you know, my students are following Jesus or not. Which, like, I don't know if you guys have worked with high schoolers. Some days they are following Jesus. Some days they're not. And, like, that's okay. That's not on me. You know, that's on Jesus. So he can, he can take care of all my high school babies. Um, so, like, all these things were painful, you know, losing what you're clinging to to give you some sense of security or some sense of purpose apart from Jesus, when you lose those things, um, I mean, it's painful. It's, it's a loss. Um, so these weren't just casual moments of revelation, um, but, but like weeks, months filled with tears and, and figuring things out and journaling and um, just asking a lot of questions. And at the end of, of each of those, you know, seasons of losing the identity, I, I find this new sense of peace, a new sense of intimacy with God, a new sense of identity in, in just being in Him. So, the, so like I said, the way that I coped and processed through most of these things was was through journaling. Um, journal. What I what I mean when I say journaling is, I would write out all of my fears or angers or questions or cuss words all to God and just like throw it at him. <laughs> and, um, and then I just listen for what he'd say back. And I, like, I, I have this box in our, in our uh, bedroom under the bed, and it's, just, it's, probably, it's probably like this big, it's like this deep, and it's just like full of, of my life with Jesus the last 15 years, of these conversations that I've been having. Um, and I really, I really think that, especially in, in high school and, and college, before I had started seeing a counselor, I really feel like the Holy Spirit, whose name is counselor, really counseled me, helped me through these things, helped give me insight into my own feelings and emotions. Um, he kept bringing me, he kept bringing me back to the truth, uh, that he was for me, that he was good, that he was trustworthy, that I was, I was safe in him, that he was really all that I needed. Um, and, and ultimately, that he, he had good things for me, not good and like, oh, now I'm going to be happy, but good as in I'm giving you more of myself in this. And that, like, that's the best good I can give you. So, so through God's commitment to teach me about identity um, and, and just countless times of supernatural provision in my life with jobs, with relationships, with money, with food, like, a, like so many stories of God just providing, um, I, I learned to live this life of just openness to him, of sort of being like, okay, this is hard. What are you up to? What are you doing? Um, but to trust that, like, he was good, he was good through it. So, when I was 25, I'm 31 now, so 
in case you guys are like, how much time do we have more to cover? Six years. Um, But when I was 25, I uh, was finishing a two-year internship at my home church in Knoxville, Tennessee. And... And like the internship is finishing, I knew I was going to go into, into ministry. I thought about seminary, felt kind of like seminary was not what I was supposed to be doing. And so I started looking for jobs and felt this conviction in my heart. Um, and really, you know, thought that God was saying, don't look for a job. I already have one for you. And, uh, and I was a little wary about just not looking for a job, um, but was obedient um, because... Again, like, everything that God had brought me through, I was like, all right, like, if you say this, I'll just let you handle it, which also was a relief, because, I mean, looking for a job, that's hard. (laughs) I was like, cool, Jesus, you're just going to take care of it for me. Um, So I I waited and and panicked a little as, as like, I realized that in four months I would not have a paycheck and was not sure what I was going to be doing, and as people would ask me, like, what I was doing next, and I was like... I think that God has said that he has a job for me, so I'm not looking for one. And you get those like, mm-hmm. are you sure that's what he said? Uh, I was like, I don't know, maybe. Uh, so I just kept waiting. Um, and then one day, Chris Toomey, who I didn't talk to in like three years, called me on, on, on my cell phone and told me about a church in Ellisville, Missouri. And he invited me to apply. So I went through the several interview stages. I don't know if any of you have been interviewed by Tracy Dunn. It's like a little heart stopping. We're like on the phone and she's like, tell me, tell me a heart level thing that you're learning. And I'd like tell her and she'd be like, okay, what would you hope to accomplish here in the, next, in the first two years? And I was like, oh gosh, did you like what I said? I don't know. Um, so that's intense. Well done, Tra- well done Tracy. Um, but so I went through the several interview stages, got to fly out here and, and see this great place and was offered the position plot twist. Um, So, so many times in my life, I felt like God had been very direct about go here, don't go here, don't date that person, yes, do this. Um, And so when I was offered the job here, I really spent, I mean, I think I took eight days. I think I asked Tracy for an extension to give an answer. I, um, I just spent time worshiping and praying and fasting and being like, okay, God, like, is this it? Um, Is like, yes or no? And he just, he just didn't give an answer. And I started panicking because in the, in the time that I'd been interviewing with Pathfinder, um, two, two other churches in Knoxville had been like, hey, you know, we're really interested in you applying here. Would you, would you consider it? And I started panicking because I was like, wait, you said you had a job. Like, is that, is that the job? Or like, is it the one in Ellisville? Moving away from my family sounds hard, but maybe having like, in the youth ministry world, a nice salary in an upper middle class white suburbia area. I was like, is that the easy path? I don't want the easy path, God. Like, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. He was just silent. You know, I'm like journaling furiously and just silent. Well, I'm sitting here, so you guys know what happened. But, um, but for the remainder of that year, after I moved here, and... For the majority of the next two years, God was really, really silent. I would journal and I wouldn't hear anything. I I worshipped and sometimes felt his presence, but still never heard his voice. And that really shook me. 
I wondered if I'd made a mistake. I wondered if I had displeased him by coming here. Um, I doubted my ability to hear God. I doubted my ability to like lead other students if I couldn't like communicate with God. I cried a lot, went to see a counselor. Um, but I was just lonely because not just far from my family, but like my best friend, the person, like Jesus, I, I wasn't feeling him or hearing from him. And what I learned in that long period of silence was that I had been basing my identity on being the girl who would hear what God asked of her and would do it. Which doesn't sound like a bad identity, um, but if that is my identity, if that's what my identity was wrapped up in, hearing and doing, then what if I heard wrong? Or what if I heard and didn't do it? Like, would that change my identity? Would that change how God interacted with me? Would that make me, I don't know, like disconnected or not have his approval anymore? So, like, just in that whole period, I just started doubting everything I was um, because I felt like I couldn't hear. And what I learned in that period of silence is that God's love for me isn't dependent on my ability to hear and obey. Um, He just loves me, (laughs) regardless. Um, The silence dismantled the idea that God delighted in me because I was someone who would follow him. Um, Because that that love is conditional, and it just just renewed this sense that God delighted in me just because of me, not because of anything that I did. And to teach me that, he let me cry and feel alone for two years. So, like, he's real committed (laughs) to dismantling those false identities. Um, But he's so good. Like, he's so good. So God delights in me. God delights in you. Um, And that's it. Like, that's been the cry of God over my life. Just, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. That's it. You can rest in that. And so, taking that forward... um, with, you know, with my husband, with uncertainty about kids, um, figuring out a place to live, like the things that happen, you know, through, through life, we can go forward knowing that no matter where we live, no matter what our family looks like, no matter our income, um, that we can just rest in, in our identity, that we're just his children. And that is a really good place to be. <laughs> Thanks. You know, I'm, I'm struck hearing uh, Pua speak about a lot of things. I mean, throughout this, uh, throughout this midweek thing, hearing staff people talk, I, one of the things I'm struck by is just how, how grateful I am um, to be in a church where God has assembled so many um, amazing people. And uh, Pua is one more example of that. And, um, and one of the other things that I'm struck by in, um, is, is Pua is talking about her life and moving around. I... Basically, my dad built our house when I was three, and I lived in that. My parents still live in that house. You know, I lived in that house my whole life. And before that, I lived next door at my grandmother's house while we were building that house. So I lived my life in the exact same plot of land. And I tell Jocelyn, if I die young, just, you know, bury me under a tree on my parents' plot of land, you know, because I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. But, um, and I, I'm struck, though, how our journeys can be so different but we wrestle with so many of the same things. So as Pooh is talking about a struggle with identity, I, I know that's been a struggle in my life and maybe that's been a struggle in your life, really trying to understand 
who am I? I'm clinging to things that end up seeming really important and they end up being worthless later. And, um, and I don't know for some of you who've lived a lot longer than me, but the longer I live, really I, I realize what Paul talked about in Philippians, that um, everything that I cling to, everything that I could find value in, everything that I thought was worth something, inevitably, and, and this is not like pious stuff, but inevitably it proves itself to be worthless. It, it proves itself to be rubbish, not worth anything. And, and I, just like Pua, keep coming back to this thing that no matter what I try on, if it's, if it's success or being a good husband or being a good father or you know, whatever it is that I'm trying on, it, uh, it just, it ends up just coming to an end of itself. It always ends up leaving me empty and longing for more. And um, there's one thing that remains, and that's being found in Christ. And, uh, and you know, so like I, if, if, if you're in a place right now where um, you're feeling pretty good about the title that you have or the position that you have, um, if you're in a place where um, you've got a lot going for you and that, that adds something to your life, there's reason to be joyful about that. And I'm not saying that you should hate those things. I would encourage you to be careful. Uh, be careful about putting too much there. Um, because inevitably, those things are going to, they're going to, you know, it's a chasing after the wind, Solomon said. And uh, there's something better, meanwhile, that, uh, that God just keeps calling you back to. And that's finding everything uh, um, every part of who you are in him. You know, in our, um, in our church, in our, in our theology, uh, we believe that baptism is a pure gift. And actually today um, in chapel for our school, way over there on that side, um, I got to baptize, she's about a four-year-old girl, um, in front of her classmates. And it, it struck me, and I shared this with the students, that you know, high-achieving West County students who are already dreaming big dreams for their life, and that's a good thing. Um, no matter what they're dreaming for their lives, there's nothing that they can ever attain to, there's nothing they can ever achieve that can compare with what God was freely giving that girl today. And I know that sounds so pious. It sounds so churchy. You know, like just, and I'm not saying the rest of the stuff is bad, and, and we need to achieve things, and we have a a purpose to fulfill and, and you know, we we're called to bring good things into the world and that's all true and that's all important. But there's something so powerful that God gives us for absolutely free. And some of us, he gave it to us when we were babies and some of us, we were you know, teenagers, some of us, we were adults. And it, and, it, and it is the highest, greatest, most important thing um, that we could ever find, and it's just given to us. And I think because it's given to us, that's why we don't appreciate it or value it. But it's truly a calling that we're his, that we're sons and daughters, and that's enough. Um, tonight, um, I, I don't know what you might want to prompt, uh, what you want to use as a prompt, rather. Um, we, we're going to get ready to have a moment to journal. Um, so if you didn't get a card when you came in or you didn't bring your journal, I know Corey's got some cards for you right here. You can just kind of put up your hand and he'll give you one. Um, it's just a time to reflect for a couple of minutes. And maybe, maybe as you sit and uh, write, maybe there's something about your own uh, struggle with identity. Or maybe it's just trying to get your mind around around this truth, um, that God is offering you something tonight. And, and maybe it's just a, maybe it's a confession that you write about and you're, you're basically, 
you know, just saying to God, like, I, I don't think I know what that means, but I want to know what that means. I, I want to know what it means to find my identity in you. Um, and just like we heard in Mark chapter 7, I think it was, um, just our openness, saying, God, I want to know, sometimes that's enough to allow our lives to be changed, our eyes to be open, and to be completely amazed. Maybe there's something else you want to journal about. I don't really care. It's your time with God. So just take a moment, and uh, we'll take a few minutes, actually, and just spend some time um, talking to your father, sorting out your thoughts, and then we'll come back and pray and sing. <laughs>